Hi guys and welcome to the Fight Up Boxing Podcast. I'm Lukash as always and obviously today we're going to talk about Canelo Alvarez versus Gennady Golovkin. I'm not going to follow that up by talking about Jesse Rodriguez and his scrappy but ultimately fairly clear win over Israel Gonzalez. Apologies if my voice is a little rough this week. I'm a little under the weather but um, I'm pretty sure I'm understandable and uh, so we'll be fine. Anyway, Canelo versus um, Golovkin 3. As some of you may know, Probably most of you or all of you know, I uh, this was a slightly different experience for me because um, as well as the fight size stuff that I will continue to do, I will also be, I've also started doing some boxing coverage for Bloody Elbow and um, you know I won't, I won't bring that up all the time like but uh, this was my first time live tweeting round by round the scores so it made watching the fight uh, different. And it made breaking the fight down afterwards different because I had a line by line, um, you know, summary of my thoughts. But anyway, I'm just mentioning that because it may factor in how to into how I uh, how I talk about it here. Anyway, if you read either of my previews, because I did one over there and one for the fight site in our group chat, you all know that I was very skeptical of this fight at all, as were we all, um, and. Uh, you know, just because on on the age factor, and uh, I didn't believe Golovkin was going to be physically able to keep up with Canelo or push Canelo in the ways that he needs to be pushed. And for most of the fight, that proved true. For the first eight rounds, it was just it was pretty much going exactly how I thought it would go. It was going to go, and then at the end, Canelo um, Canelo dropped um, his pace dropped. And Golovkin started winning rounds later on. It's quite how many rounds he won, it's you know open to debate. Um, two of the judges scored it seven five, which you know it seems way too close for me. But my score scoring live was eight four, so you know it wasn't that far out of the way. But you know I do find it difficult to see any more rounds of score to Canelo than that. You'd have to be basically being very generous to Golovkin's work, I feel, to give him any more than that. Yeah, it's like I say, I don't often I say I didn't finish scoring and blah blah blah, but I don't have that excuse anymore. I know exactly what I scored when, and it was Golovkin I gave round one, which is, you know, that's a toss up round for me. And, you know, maybe they're always being generous to Golovkin, but um, I don't think it's outrageous to give him that. And I scored three of the last four to Golovkin, and then the rest went to Canelo. And I think that's pretty much, yeah, that, that I think that's a perfectly reasonable score that I came up with, and, uh, it reflects the fight quite well, which is that, you know, the first round was feed out round, then after that, Canelo, we started seeing exactly what I feared we would, which is that Golovkin's timing wasn't there, that even when he threw his jab a lot, um, Canelo was able to throw with him on the jab. We saw um, him not able to follow punches up. Um, you know, he did try. Like people, I've seen people talk about on Twitter and all of that, that Golovkin didn't get busy with his right hand until later in the fight. And even Golovkin himself said... Um, no, Canelo talked about Golovkin's right hand, I think. Um, but uh, he did try to throw it. It's just that whenever he did, Canelo countered it hard. Um, and so he got, you know, he got, he got, he, it looked like Golovkin felt a bit intimidated. And that is just not Golovkin. It's not the Golovkin we know and love. But it, it's something that happens with age. You know, he can't react to the punches coming at him. And uh, so he stops putting himself in situations where those punches can come and it was a lower volume fight than he had the previous two it was you know it's just as expected and there were a few things um that were a bit you know the approach was different Canelo's approach was very different and this is something I talked about in my post fight piece on bloody elbow 
so I have to, if you you know if you want to read some of my thoughts, you can find it there. But um, I'm going to talk about it now too, um, because you know we were, um, I did say you know Canelo tired, and um, in the Bivol fight Canelo also tired, but in that fight he got forced to tire. Basically, his um, stamina management in most of his previous fights, including the two previous Golovkin fights, you know, regardless of what you think of the result, um, Canelo's huge strength in those fights and subsequently has been, even when the opponent is working hard, he could manage his own work and not gas out. And in Bivol, just never gave him a moment's rest. He had to be constantly moving, high energy, tempoed, and, you know, trying to keep up with Bivol, trying to land on him, trying to evade his punches. Canelo never had a moment's rest, so it was understandable that he guessed but in this fight like i say golovkin really wasn't doing anything he wasn't pushing the tempo he was throwing a jab but it wasn't worrying canelo he didn't do anything that you would expect to force canelo you know to tire himself out canelo talked about afterwards him you know he admitted himself yeah he tired um he wasn't coasting he was tired um and he blamed it on lack of explosive training because of some injuries he's carrying um which makes me wonder, because that may be true, but uh, his game plan consisted of high, big explosive movements, large jumps, large recoveries, like his first meaningful punch of the fight. They came out, they threw a jab, one jab each, and then Canelo came in with this huge right hand that was just completely overbalanced him. And it was, um, yeah, yeah, and then he had to recover and um, and bring himself back into line, and, and that takes energy. And I don't understand why he was doing that if he knew that he hadn't been able to train his stamina properly. Like that just seems like something, it seems like bad planning that isn't in Canelo's makeup normally because, you know, whatever you think of his, what his win-loss record should be, you know, whether he think he uh, he should have lost both fights to Golovkin, you know, which I do, and whether you think uh, whether he deserved to beat Lara, which, you know, I don't, uh, yeah, I think I don't, I'm, I'm not a huge fan of Lara, and I didn't like the way he approached that fight. So, yeah, I can see giving Canelo the win. But um, in any which case, usually Canelo's planning for a fight tends to be pretty on point, and his improvements between fights tend to be pretty on point. You know, and then, you know if that was if he knew that he hadn't had the training that he needed um, for you know explosive training for stamina. Why did he fight like that? And, you know, in the first round, he kind of backed off and uh, didn't do much for the rest of the round. But after that, it was a feature of his game. And it was clearly tactical. And it did work. I mean, I could, you know, yeah, okay, I can see why he did it in the sense that as long as he could do it, it lasted. And maybe he thought um, he could knock Golovkin out. Maybe that was the idea. Um, but, um, but yeah, which is these big movements, these big swinging um, shots and leapy footwork, which is something he's never done, and uh, you know this that, this may have been a plan to prepare for Bivol because his footwork just wasn't fast enough against Bivol, and he needs to speed it up. And maybe this was his answer. I don't know. I'm speculating there, but um, but it just didn't. Yeah, it it worked for as long as it worked, and then and then it let Golovkin back in the fight. And uh, I mean, I, yeah, like I say, I understand the tactical where he's coming from on it. But uh, it just seemed like a bad idea if he knew he was compromised. If he didn't know he was compromised, then uh, then it just speaks to, you know, it's a less bad decision, but it's still not great judgment over where he is physically. In any case, yeah, so the first few rounds, the first three or four rounds, I think, um, were involved 
Golovkin, uh, Canelo doing this scare tactic, basically, these big punches, these, um, um, punching with Golovkin's jab and then, uh, punching with, you know, with Golovkin, with every other, with every other shot. And, uh, Golovkin didn't like that much. Golovkin didn't go to the body hardly at all, but that was a feature somewhat in the uh, other fights. Canelo did go to the body with his right hand, and in hindsight, because um, he's also talked about his left hand being injured, and in hindsight you could see, I think, um, that one I do, got, you know, I do buy, that um, his left hand, he's carrying an injury that doesn't impede movements as such, but um, it causes pain when he moves sharply or impacts and he wasn't hitting the body with his left hand much um so i can you know i can totally believe that um that that was happening i don't disbelieve the other side the other stuff but um yeah the point being you know canelo may have been compromised but that's just something he has to come to terms with he's aging now um and then afterwards after about six seven rounds i think it was in the sixth round he started um he took the lead and uh instead of um Instead of waiting for counters, which had been what he was doing in the early rounds, he started to push and bully and uh, set the pace himself, which just makes the stamina thing even more. Like, you know, you've got to, I don't know, um, you know, I feel like he really did think that old man Golovkin was going to fade out and not be able to live up with the tempo. Like, that's the only only way that that tactic makes sense. And uh, and it didn't work. It didn't. He didn't kick Golovkin out there, which, you know, Props to me. I said that was going to happen. Um, Kaleno is not a is not a guy who buries guys in volume, and Golovkin is not prone to losing to one hit quitters. So, so I uh, I totally you know I did think that um, that it was going to go to a decision. Um, well, I didn't expect you know I didn't expect what happened, which was and this is something I spotted on rewatching a bit um, that. Initially, when he was taking the lead, Canelo was still doing slipping, all of the movement, you know, all of the head movement that he's known for. But after a while, that stopped, and he shelled up behind a high guard. And um, that's when Golovkin started coming back into it. Um, it was in the ninth round um, that he uh, he caught him. Um, but uh, first of all, yeah, Golovkin had this high guard up, and Golovkin uh, had his high guard up, and Golovkin started hooking around the edge of the high guard. Um, it was a um, he went to a dad set, he went with a jab, and then he went around the card with the same hand. And Canelo, previously, and on all of the previous fights, he'd dealt with that pretty well. You know, that's something of Golovkin's specialty, these weird combinations with the same hand, all of that kind of thing. And Canelo had been ready for it, you know, up until this point. And I do think that this must have been a stamina issue, or an energy, or an injury issue, that he did just put his hands up and try to deal with that that way. And Golovkin's too good at manipulating the guard to to play with in that fashion um, and he started catching him around the guard and then then there was a moment when Canelo did try another leapy attack and Golovkin managed to slide back and stick his jab out and Canelo fell onto it and to my eye he clearly buzzed him like he didn't wobble you know he wasn't wobbling wobbling he wasn't out on his feet or you know anything like in danger of getting stopped but he wobbled he, um, he was buzzed he backed off and that kind of set the tone for the rest of the fight, um, where Canelo was um, not as interested in engaging and was much more careful about things coming back from Golovkin, which is nice to see. You know, it was great for me to see, okay, Golovkin does have something still. And it followed a similar pattern in the um, fight with um, Murata, where he struggled with his timing early and then came back into it late. 
but that's also a shame because you know Golovkin Golovkin starting slow and not being able, unable to find his timing until five, six, seven, eight, nine rounds in. It's just not. It's not. It's a sad sight. And he's forty. You can expect it. But um. But yeah, it was. It was simultaneously. You know, nice to see him have something. But uh, a shame it took so long. And I should. You know, I should point out that um. You know, making it sound like old Canelo fell off and um. Then Golovkin picked up. He did start throwing a little bit earlier. Like he did possibly in those middle rounds do a bit to push more out of Canelo because um it was after round five that his corner gave him a bit of a talking to um and said you know you do really have to go to work now you need to bring your power hand into play you need to stop you need to you need to work and um and he did start pushing a bit and um you know through rounds six and seven um he uh he did push up the um push up the tempo a bit um, around 7 was when I felt Canelo started to take the lead and maybe that was a response you know um, maybe I'm not giving due credit maybe that was Canelo's plan you know wait till Golovkin picks up the tempo and then try to push him back um, but uh, yeah Golovkin um, Golovkin did start you know pushing the jab a bit more jabbing instead of relying on this power jab he started jabbing you know 2-3-4 at a time um, and you know that brought him some joy but it was through the first, you know, through up until round nine, that was a an issue for him. But um, but after that, yeah, um, he did start. Um, yeah, Canelo got tired and Golovkin got to work some, but he was never in danger of losing. Um, Canelo, um, so you know, I'm, I'm criticising him, and I don't think it was this fight as well. Too, it wasn't a good look for him going in. It was an even worse look for him going. Um, coming out of it because like I say you know Golovkin looked dodgy in all the ways that I feared he would and yet he still did stuff in the fight so so it wasn't a great look for Canelo um what happened so for the you know for the future for for Golovkin you know he's talking about probably going back to 160 he has responsibilities there um you know he's got to defend the belt um you know, I think if he fights his compatriot Janibek and Amkanuli at this stage, I think he gets tonked in that fight. Um, Janibek's very good, and he's fast and he's slick, and uh, you know, he's not yet proven to be at the level Golovkin was at, but I think he probably is in that sort of. You know, he's a different sort of fighter. They're not particularly similar fighters apart from punching hard. Um, you know, even accounting for Golovkin's uh, late, you know, the revelation that when he fights really high-level fighters, he boxes much more behind the jab than the destroyer like hunter seeker he was before he's still a pressure fighter um and yeah Janibek isn't really he's sort of in and out um it's lower volume he's not in a low volume but he picks his punches more that kind of thing um but i think Janibek would just be too fast for golovkin at this stage other than that there's just not that much of interest for golovkin like i don't see what who he's going to fight that is going to be worth you know both monetarily and in terms of his legacy What's going to be worth the you know increasing damage because look like, watching Morata and then this fight I think those slow starts are going to be a feature of his game like that's actually going to be a feature of how he fights now I think that just watching him do it two fights in a row um, it's a concern um, and yeah I you know if he wants to keep fighting you know he's not he's not at the stage yet where I'm going you know oh no he should never fight again but um. But he's at a stage where I'm like, you know, I would like to see him. There isn't much left for him to do. There isn't much left for him to prove. Or rather, you know, he could have proven more throughout his career. Some of it through no fault of his own. A lot of it through no fault of his own being so avoided. But at this point, he isn't going to. So, 
Canelo, on the other hand, he's got some decisions to make. Firstly, he came out talking about injuries um, and how he needs need to rest and recuperate and deal with some stuff. That's fair enough. But he's also at the age and the stage of his career where that's just going to be a thing for him now. And he has to work his game plans around those injuries. And if he's going to struggle with it, like I think he did here, you know, that's going to be an issue for him. You know, I don't, I don't see how the guy, you know, if if any of this, if any of the stuff that he brought in in this fight was intended to be practicing for Bivol, and that, you know, even for an aged Golovkin, that would be a risk, to, risky thing to try, and an arrogant thing to try. But um, but it, you know, maybe he thought he could use it and practice it. Nothing I saw here made me think he's going to be. Um, beat Bivol again if they fight again like he spent up his footwork but at so much cost of his um, of his balance of form that was already a problem for him in the first fight um, yeah I can't see it um, but the more concerning thing is like um, Benavidez he was asked about Benavidez after the fight he got a bit tetchy but Benavidez obviously wants it you know in the normal course of circumstances I, I already did think Benavidez could be an issue for him but I did think Canelo you know he's so good at managing the tempo and all of that stuff um, that I would have picked him. But if this is who Canelo is now, and if he's voluntarily giving up, you know, energy, his energy levels, or or if he's so compromised now that he can't, you know, he has to deal, he's going to have to deal, if he fights Benavides, he's going to have to deal with a steady, high volume jab, like a really, really high volume jab, which is, you know, he's normally very good at that, but Benavides is really fast and really long, and he's going to have to find a way to close that distance consistently for 12 rounds against a guy who who doesn't slow down um so you know i would not yet confidently say i would pick benavides in that fight but i would be more confident about it than i was before this fight um i would I'd think that more likely to happen um yeah canelo just has to he has to sit down reorganize figure out his you know how he's going to deal with aging and that's that's a key part of how fighters you know how their legacy goes down because at some point you always hit all fighters always hit an age where they couldn't do the things they were doing before and some of them deal with it like incredibly um you know nonita denaire showing us you know he's almost as good now well not anymore but um you know even in the second Inoue fight he was almost as good a fighter as he was in his prime despite physically being clearly off that pace you know Pacquiao um, dealt with his aging incredibly well, despite uh, despite being a guy who really relied on his explosivity. Um, how can Nello functions when his body doesn't do the things he really wants it to for his style? It's going to be interesting. And my, you know, normally my pick would have been, you know, of anyone, I would pick Canelo to be someone who ages well. But again, this fight makes it a next concern. But um, you know, I'm not going to go bang on about it. That'll be for when he fights next. So I'm going to leave that fight there, and I'm going to talk about um, Jesse Bam Rodriguez. Because I gave him the big hype up, and so did, you know, lots of us, but, you know, I gave him the big hype up, and, you know, he's this flashy, super, um, you know, potential best boxer in the world, um, super movement, you know, um, all of that stuff, and that uh, he's going to be well beyond his role, Gonzalez, even though Gonzalez is a perfectly good fighter. Um, and that, you know, didn't really prove true. Gonzalez prepared very well for let's call it Jesse Rodriguez's killer app which is his flashy superb pivots and movement and all of that um, because Rodriguez 
he didn't look as sharp in that department as he sometimes does and there was speculation some very smart people have speculated that uh well have said that he looked sluggish um but for me and um i think danny jacobs pointed this out in the commentary um for me that was a factor of Israel Gonzalez preparing very well. Um, you know, he's experienced, even though he's only 25 himself, I believe. He's been around and he's fought some of the top guys. He's fought Roman Gonzalez. And he's clearly brought that experience to the table. And he prepared very well in terms of moving with Rodriguez. When Rodriguez did those flashy steps around, um, he turned very quickly. He was ready for them. And he had something waiting for Rodriguez. He had, he had counters. He had basically something to put into the path of that movement to, you know, to make it not a pleasant experience, to make Rodriguez not really want to do it. And, and Rodriguez had to adjust. And he also, you know, Gonzalez came at him with a lot of volume and, um, you know, it's harder It's harder to do that kind of thing, that kind of flashy movement when your opponent's throwing loads of punches because you have to move through the space where the punches are. All of that stuff, it was really good. And, um, you know, unlike Thrasikas or Rungvisai, he didn't, um, he didn't let Rodriguez's little games with the distance get his head um you know he wouldn't bite on feints and then fall flat he yeah, he was just throwing a lot so that um even if he did bite on a feint in air quotes even if he did throw something at a feint it was always followed by something else um that was dangerous to Rod for rodriguez to follow up and counter and so rodriguez took a different tactic and you know his footwork is not the only thing that he does really well and his head movement is very good and this is something i did really think about him before is his guard is excellent his guard is superb um he's got a really good active guard at catching the shots at different levels he moves it you know he just sits to depending on what's coming at him and that i think is was ultimately the story of the fight because um because gonzalez was throwing a lot of volume at him and they're exchanging you know in the Early rounds, Gonzalez did win some of the early rounds. In the middle rounds, well, I mean, I gave it, I think I had a 2-2 after, you know, I had the same score as Mannix, um, you know, which is like, boo, boo, but, but Mannix correctly said, you know, I think you're missing how much of Rodriguez, of Gonzalez's work Rodriguez has been catching or slipping. Um, you're missing the defensive work. And I think that was right. And I think that started to account for, you know, later in the fight, um, the story became that Rodriguez's punches were hurting Gonzalez and Gonzalez's punches punches weren't hurting Rodriguez even when they were landing and you know I think some of that is just that they weren't landing you know especially to the body the shots that so many of the shots to the body didn't hit the body they were caught in the elbows and you know that just you know that started to slow Gonzalez down because Rodriguez's shots were catching him to the body and yes when he caught him to the head he snapped his head back whereas um, Jesse Rodriguez's head movement is excellent and his balance is even when, you know, even when he's not doing his flashy footwork, his balance is super and his head movement is super. So even when he does get caught to the head and he was always going to, you know, when you're that aggressive, you're always going to, um, he was taking the sting off the shots and moving with the shots in the way that Gonzalez wasn't really able to. I'll put, I'll put it this way. Gonzalez was tactically really on point, but on the technical level, he, did find himself falling short when Rodriguez had a few other tricks in the bag. Because like Gonzalez didn't fall apart when Rodriguez didn't <clears throat> when Rodriguez adopted another approach to the one that Gonzalez had prepared for. It's not as if Gonzalez went, Oh no, I can't I don't know what what what's happening here. He met fire with fire and he knew what he's doing. But just the technical level of the two was different. 
you know, Gonzalez's defence wasn't as good, his attack wasn't quite as good. It was good, his, his attack is nice, but um, but, but Rodriguez was just more capable of living with a fire being thrown at him than the other way around. And, you know, that's a sign of a good fighter. There are concerns about this, you know, with Rodriguez, you can think, okay, if his primary weapon, that, um, you know, signature footwork, can be stimmied by Gonzalez, um, Israel Gonzalez, how would it fare against Roman Gonzalez if, you know, if he faces Roman Gonzalez while he's still hot, how would it fare against Estrada? And those are fair questions, but it's a thing I say over and over and over again on this podcast. Um, you have to have a second layer, a second plan, not just, you know, second layers to something different. You have to have a backup plan. You have to have something you can do if the thing that you do first, if your first plan doesn't go to plan, doesn't work out, you have to have a second backup option. You can't melt if your opponent's prepared for your first plan. And it was great to see that Gonzalez didn't melt. It wasn't so great to see was that he kept hitting him in the balls. Um, <laughs> he did it twice, really, obviously. One of them got called a knockdown, uh, got called a low blow, and uh, and he got a point deducted. The other one was j- probably just as bad. And Kenny Bayless really shat the bed because he... Um, he called no knockdown, but he still stopped the fight. He still stopped the the fight and paused it and allowed um, allowed Israel Gonzalez to get up. But he didn't call. He didn't count time, which may have ended. If he had called it a knockdown properly, he may have counted. Uh, he may have ended the fight right there because he wouldn't have got up. You know, being hit in the balls hurts. Um, and uh, and so yeah, he basically gave Israel Gonzalez recovery time from a nut shot, which yes, he should have done. But he didn't punish. Um, Jesse Rodriguez for the nut shot, and he didn't call the knockdown. You know, he should he had to do one or the other, and didn't do either. And you know, ultimately, yeah. I mean, I don't think yeah. That, um, I don't think punishing or punishing Rodriguez for it may have changed the course of the fight because we saw it earlier in the year with Dalton Smith, where he had a similar issue where he had been going straying low with his um, shots to the body. Um, he'd been going low, and he got a final, you know he got a final warning. And so he, then he had to take that out of his game. And I thought Dalton Smith dealt with that pretty well. And it would have been interesting to see Kenny Bailey say to um, Jesse Rodriguez, do that one more time and you're out, this, you're disqualified. Um, because that is, you know, that that, specific, that specifically isn't going to happen to too many fighters too often. But if you're working the belt line like that, something you have to deal with, either bring your punches up or do something else. And... Uh, we didn't have to see it because Rodriguez didn't get uh, didn't get the final warning he probably should have got for that second one. I don't think it was on purpose. Like and Rodriguez said afterwards, I didn't mean to do it. And I do, you know, I, even before he said that, I did think, you know, he didn't look like he was aiming low. He was just um, he was working the belt line, and sometimes he strayed below it. But that's part of your job as a fighter: stay above the fucking belt line, you know. Um, so that was a shame to see, and he has to work on bringing those punches up in future but other than that yeah it was it was a good it was a good show to see him um yeah basically turn into a hunting pressure fighter behind guard you know he had a good, he has a really like i say a really good guard and uh, pushing gonzalez back and really pushing him to the corners not dancing around him but physically getting physical with him and using his strength and this is a feature that i think people you know i've been surprised by and everyone else has been surprised by because he wasn't expecting to fight in a in this division, at the start of the year, he had fought at um, at flyweight, but he was scheduled to fight at light fly, I think it was, and uh, then at a week's notice, he jumped two divisions, you know, up to superfly to fight Quadras, 
and he not only hasn't looked physically outmatched, he has looked the stronger guy in pretty much all three of his matchups against three strong guys. I mean, it's Rob Gonzalez isn't like a super big tank like um, Quadras and um, Sarungas are really are at the division, but he's he's a big guy and uh, and he was really physically outmatched by Jesse Rodriguez. Now like, he's really got that talent. And yeah, it was just, it's, you know, people people quibbled about the performance and I can understand it. And it was messier than we're used to seeing from him and all of that. But it's something we've learned about him. He's got that second string. He's got that second layer. And, uh, you know, it just makes me more um, interested in seeing what he does next. Because now I know, okay, if there is a fighter who's really clever with it and really can, you know, that footwork is a risk. It's always a gamble. And, um, you know, we saw... Just to, to take the closest parallel to to Bam Rodriguez today, Vasily Lomachenko, you know, his his version of that footwork is more complete than what we've seen from Rodriguez so far. You know, he's much more reliant on it. But um, we saw it against Teofimo Lopez when he couldn't do that. Uh, he really struggled with getting close without the angles. He really did have problems closing the distance safely as a pressure fighter, not fully getting behind, tucking up, or even with head movement. Like he he struggled he struggled with that middle bit, like uh, closing that distance without when 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 Tiafimo Lopez was ready for him to intercept him. And uh, you know, Gonzalez is not the counter punching danger that um that Lopez is. He's not. He hasn't got the re- even relatively. He hasn't got the explosiveness and the power. But uh, the just the fact, you know, that Rodriguez, even technically, you know, he had he had the goods. He had the high guard. He had the active. He he knew what he was doing, and he was completely, you know, not not safe, safe. But he wasn't in danger of jumping onto a shot, and he wasn't stuck paralyzed at range, going, "Oh no, how am I going to get to him if I can't pass by." and go around him and make him turn and follow me. Like, um, you know, Lomachenko found, and Lomachenko clearly generational talent, Rodriguez, um, I'm not going to put him on that level yet, but it's a clue. It's a clue and one that makes me think, okay, good things, good things are happening here because now we know he's got something else. And, you know, it wasn't easy. He didn't breeze through Gonzalez and I thought he would put him. But in some of that wasn't, Gonzalez was better than I thought he would be. And, you know, clearly, I don't think I'm the only one. I can be the only one. It wasn't, you know, even if you think that Rodriguez underperformed, and you know, some people accuse him of overlooking Gonzalez because he's been in with the shiny shiny stars, and um, also not being fully keen because um, he hadn't wanted to fight so soon after his win over Russell Rumbasai. And um, Robert Garcia said, you know, it's a Canelo undercard. You have to fight on it. You're going to be the co-main. You have to fight on that card, and. Uh, and so, there, you know, people doubted maybe his enthusiasm for this and that maybe he needs a break. And that all of that may be true. And, you know, if he, if he needed a break and he didn't get one, that may also account for some sluggishness, possibly. Yeah, so that's not... There's all kinds of things, all kinds of reasons why this isn't, you know, this didn't make me think more negatively of Rodriguez. You know, if it was true that he decided that Gonzalez just isn't a threat, then, yeah, that would make me think negatively. But, uh, but no, I think just Gonzalez prepared well and... And Rodriguez reacted well to that preparation. It was it was good stuff. I liked it. Um, yeah, it's you know I haven't got anything deep deep to say here. Um, you know, Gonzalez. It was a fairly standard game plan. It wasn't like um, Estrada doing really crazy things to to deal with um, 
Rodri Cortez. It was, you know, it wasn't that kind of stuff. It was just a, a good but standard pressure game. Jab, jab, capture stuff. I mean, the, the guard he has, the guard he had is excellent. Like, he's really, really good at that. And I think that's going to be, in the long run, something we talk about as much as his flashy footwork, because that's just, like, really high level. Um, but yeah, I'm just, you know, even, even now, I'm excited to see what he does next. And uh, it may be that he needs an extended break and we won't see him again until May, which, you know, that's pretty standard. Anyway, um, he may want to take advantage, come out faster, but if he needs a break, he needs a break. Yeah, that's pretty much it. Um, Amo Williams won on the card over Kieran Conway. I, you know, I didn't... Uh, I didn't get that fight my full analysis attention. I didn't watch see the whole of it because I had to get things ready. Um running around in a bit of a not panic, but um getting, getting things ready for for the commentary I was doing. But uh yeah, Amo Williams is kind of being given a prospect push that I don't really see. Like he's fine, he's athletically like physically really good and he does things some decent things, um in terms of you know, he's good at getting power shots home and all of that kind of stuff. But he just feels like a bit one-dimensional. Um, yeah, if he, find, if he, you know, if he gets into... Uh, he called out Ericsson Lubin, and that was kind of weird because Mama Williams is a middleweight and Lubin is not. He's 154. But, uh, you know, if he gets that level of fight or steps up at middleweight, you know, he, he may be worth keeping an eye on. Um, you know, I wouldn't want to write him off. He's a young guy and all of that. But they're just... Yeah, I don't know. He seems over-reliant on his power punching. Um, but, you know, I'll say that about Tank Garcia, and he's clearly, despite me still thinking that he's not powerful pound and all of that, he's clearly better than, uh, you know, I would have said to you a few years ago. And maybe Ammo Williams will get there too. Um, other than that, there's not, you know, there were other fights that happened, which I just, I'm travelling, all of that stuff, I just didn't have time to catch up with everything. So, you know, apologies if you really wanted to hear my thoughts on Dentel Bentley. But, uh but I didn't watch the fights. Um, that that weren't the main event. Uh, the main events here. Um, next weekend is pretty damn full. Even though we lost one of the main attractions because um, because Lee Wood was meant to be fighting um, Mauricio Lara, we lost that. So now the main event is Kid Galahad versus Maxi Hughes, which is frankly, you know, I mean, it's not as exciting a fight, but it's an, a really good fight because um, Kid Galahad, he's you know, he's coming off trying to recover from that. Uh, Shocker knockout from with um, GK Martinez. Um, Maxi Hughes is a guy who's just he's a British level fighter, and I'm not sure he's got enough of Galahad unless Galahad's like not in the headspace. But he's just re- riding what he's got. He's perfecting like he's got a really su- solid little game together, and he's it's really enjoyable just watching him do his thing. And he deserves his shot. Um, so that would be interesting, and that's a fun little main event. Um, obviously, the actual. Big fight of the weekend is, um, especially as far as any American listeners go, is um, Shakur Stevenson versus Robson Kanzaisal. Um, Kanzaisal is, you know, good. He's a Olympic gold medalist um, back in 2016. He's a Brazilian fella. Uh, he's, his uh, pro career has been a bit uh, not great, but he's a good, he's a good, uh, good talent. And um, I wouldn't expect Stevenson to necessarily, you know, completely. You know, have it his completely his own way, but he should be too good for Gonzalez. Um, Stevenson should be too good for him, but uh, that's the that happened, that's happening on Friday, which you know unusual for the marquee fight, uh, marquee fighter. But that fight's happening on Friday. Possibly, I don't think it's because of this, but um, Floyd Mayweather's having a exhibition match against Makura Asakura. 
you know, I don't care. I'm not going to be following, approving, or whatever. Asakura is a Japanese mixed martial artist. Uh, yeah, he fights in Ryzen, so um, not a UFC guy, but he is, you know, pretty good by all accounts. I've seen him fight, but um, never always, you know, sit down and find out. Just the Asakura brothers are, you know, exciting and all of that. But uh, he's not a boxer. There's no point to this. It's just an exhibition fight. Floyd Mayweather, whatever, blah, blah, blah. It's on fight if you're interested. Um, but um, yeah, but that's on Saturday. Um, but the main thing happening on Saturday, apart from um, apart from the aforementioned Maxi Hughes' Kid Galahad, is the um, heavyweight fight between Joe Joyce and um, Joe Park, Joseph Parker. And I do like that fight. That's a good heavyweight matchup. Um, that's... Um, you know, Joyce, for the, you know, really the first time here, Parker kind of falls a bit short at the real, real world level, but um, he's good, solid, proper, you know, he's been tested by these guys and he's never, you know, he's lost these fights. So he lost to Joshua and uh, he lost to Dylan White, but he has been humiliated. Um, and Joe Joyce, you know, I would probably pick Joe Joyce, but Parker has, you know, he will test him. It's a good fight. It's a, pretty much a 50-50, really. Um, yeah, and... Uh, and that'll be fun, and you should watch that one if you can. And uh, other than that, um, yeah, I will. I will be doing previews. My Shikorsi, I will be doing Shikorsi with some preview in the, in the other place. Um, but everything else I will cover here, and uh, you will hear me again next week. Obviously, before we go, um, sign up to follow me at Crafty Boxing. You know, all the shadows will follow me at crafty boxing i am no longer silly lukash i am now my f proper full name um for uh <laughs> yeah looking like a professional purposes um and uh follow the fight site at the fight site sign up to the fight site patreon and um if you do follow us already um you will have seen and if you don't then go have a look um we are an update on the appeal we've been pushing for our founder um founder no um our founder is um kyle our He's the guy behind, in charge behind the scenes at the moment is um, Iggy, a.k.a. Tuman, um, and we're updating on the appeal and asking, you know, if if you can offer any more help or, you know, anything, boost the signal, all of that, please do. There's another, there's an update post explaining exactly where he stands and, um, you know, what more he needs. And, um, you know, hopefully you can help or push the like I say push the signal boost pass it around uh, you know on Twitter and on the internet in real life if you can um, that would be that would be great um, and yeah and other than that follow our accounts for more work from us and we are gearing up more more content for you all of that stuff so yeah keep track of us and uh, this time I am going to say see you next time